Well, hello. Good evening. It is great to be together. Thank you, uh, Polly the Parrot, uh, for the drama. Uh, well done. Hey, hey, on, your, on your way into church today, if Jesus himself in the flesh were to appear to you and have a conversation with you and say, I'll teach you anything. What do you want me to teach you to do? How would you answer that question? What would you say? You know, maybe some here are, are really godly and you'd be like, well, teach me to read the Bible. Or maybe you'd be like, oh, teach me some wisdom. Okay, Solomon. Or maybe, maybe it's, I'd like to be able to feed 5,000 people with some crackers and some minnows. I could solve world hunger that way pretty quickly. There's all kinds of things that we see Jesus do that, that are astounding. Maybe it's a less noble thing, right? Like, I want to walk on water. Make money appear in the mouth of a fish. Jesus does all kinds of things. What would you want him to teach you how to do? The people who lived and walked with Jesus most intimately, his disciples, they only asked Jesus to teach them how to do one thing. And that was when they said, Jesus, can you teach us how to pray? That was it. There was something so compelling about the life of Jesus and his prayer life that that was the one thing. They're like, we need to know how do you pray, Jesus? They saw from his life that, that prayer wasn't merely a secondary thing to do. It was the thing beneath all other things. And they wanted to learn how to pray. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he said, there is nothing that tells the truth about us as people as much as our prayer life. Our prayer life reveals what we really care about who we really are, what we're really investing ourselves in, what our priorities are. Our prayer life reveals what the thing beneath the things are. How's your prayer life? Here's one of the observations I have when it comes to prayer requests as someone who gets a lot of prayer requests. We often treat prayer as the preparation for the battle. And we think the main event is whatever we're asking prayer for, right? Think about something you might ask prayer for, right? Maybe, maybe it's a, a surgery. We ask prayer for the surgery, thinking that the action is the surgery or, or maybe about a test, right? Can you pray for my test? Prayer's the preparation for where the battle is, where the, where the difficult complexity is. But I want all of us tonight to, to consider that prayer is not the preparation, but that prayer is where the real action happens. That prayer is where the battle is. Because if we engage in prayer the way that Jesus taught us to, the reality is that no matter what happens in the surgery or no matter what happens in the test, we'll be able to navigate it because we've already wrestled through that with Jesus. 
We've already brought that to the Lord. And Jesus demonstrates for us in his life that prayer is not so much preparation for the battle. Prayer is the battle. To use the phrase from last week, prayer is the place, is the furnace of transformation. And it was prayer that allowed Jesus to engage with all the things that came his way. Everything that happened in his life came out of prayer. That's what we looked at last week. Haddon Robinson, he reminds us that Jesus bled drops of blood from his anxiety, not in the temple courts, but in the prayer place in the garden. Nothing tells the truth about us as much as our prayer life. How, when, where, all these kinds of things. And so that's why for the next several weeks as we make our way to Easter, we want to be just like those first disciples and say, Jesus, Lord Jesus, will you again teach us how to pray? Teach us how to pray. And we're starting today with what is the most well-known prayer. Um, It's often called the Lord's Prayer Prayer. And it's the prayer that the Lord gave us. So if you know this, if you're familiar with it, will you recite it with me? Um, and if you, if you don't know it, that's fine. Uh, it'll be on, on the screens. But will you pray the Lord's Prayer with me as we continue in the service? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. The Lord's Prayer. As the drama brilliantly just reminded us, this prayer is not some magical formula, some abracadabra. What this prayer is that Jesus gave us is the scaffolding upon which we build our lives. And so let's make our way through it. One bit of scaffolding at a time, one phrase at a time. Starts with our Father in heaven. Years ago, um, for a whole summer, I decided every night for that summer, I was going to pray this prayer. And so I, I did that every night. I went through this. After a, a couple of weeks of doing this, I'm like, I'm going to make my way through it one word at a time. And just, you know, the emphasis game, just our, our father, our father in. So that I was, I was going to make my way through it. And, and that very first night, I'm, 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 I'm lying there and I'm, praying, I'm like, our, whoa. And it hit me so strongly that it starts off with our. See, I, I, I had prayed that so many times growing up, but that first word, it always kind of felt like the on-ramp into the prayer, right? Our Father who art in heaven. You know, it was just kind of like the, the thing that got the prayer started. But that night it hit home for me. It stopped me in my tracks that this is our prayer. That is to say, we only know God in the way that we are meant to know God together. This is a communal reality, a communal relationship. Our 
together. That's important and that's beautiful, but that's not all. Because then I was thinking, Jesus taught me to pray this. Which means Jesus is saying, I want you and I to say this together. Our Father. So Jesus is saying with him, through him, because of him, we can pray and call God our Father. Now, he's not our Father in the way he's Jesus' Father, but he is our Father in that we are in Christ. And we have this relationship with God. And that's the relational dynamic we are invited into. That's the, that's the starting point of prayer is an invitation to talk to God with father language. We're not just talking to some disconnected voice, detached of relationship. We are invited to pray with familiarity, with emotion, with relationship, with connection, with history, and with knowledge. Our father. And as a dad, and to be like very clear, an imperfect dad, if all of my interactions with my kids was simply them memorizing things I had said and coming back to me and just saying, you said this, no, 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 no. Like that ain't it. The real beauty is in the relationship. The real beauty is in the interaction, the connection. The real beauty is sometimes when they maybe take one of the few good things I've said and they implement it and then we get to talk about that. Our Father. And again, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm an imperfect dad in all kinds of ways. But for me to say that I am a father, it's not just a title. It's a responsibility that I have to some little loves in this world. I have responsibility for the lives of these kids. And this is true for God as well. As a father, there's not just that identity, but there's a responsibility, an interest in your life, a love for you, a desire to be involved in your life. Now, I'm very sensitive to the fact that for some of us here today, the term father is complex for a whole lot of reasons. For some, this language, frankly, just hurts. And maybe it's because of the lack of a father's presence. Or maybe it's because a father failed in their responsibilities. For some, fatherhood has been manipulated and taken advantage of in ways that no way reflect who God is and longs to be in your life. For some, this language can be complex because you had a really good dad. And so when you think of God as a father, you, 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 you implant kind of this image of your dad, 
which actually limits the full beauty of who God wants to be in your life. When Jesus talks about God being our Father, what he's meaning is God is the place where intimacy and protection, identity, loving care, authority, involvement, and presence all meet. That's who Jesus is telling us God is and wants to be in our lives. And that's who we pray to. God is our Father. But he's not just any father. He's our Father in heaven. Which means God is near enough and far enough. God is near enough to hear our prayers, to know our lives, to be involved in what we're doing, and yet he's far enough to be totally transcendent and all-powerful to do something about the things we pray about. He's our Father near in heaven, far. Near enough to love, far enough to be powerful, to do all the things we pray about. And then we ask this God to say, hallowed, Hallow your name. Most of the time when I've prayed this or reiterated this, I've always thought, hallowing your name. Okay, we're going to try and lift your name up. We're going to glorify your name here. But in this section, we're still addressing this to God. So what we're saying is, God, will you glorify your name here on earth? Hallow your name. This is what we are asking God to do, addressing addressing God and asking God to make much of himself, which is just a beautiful reminder for all of us today that God has total and free capacity and authority to honor and glorify his name and move in this world in the ways that he wants to. And we're saying, God, will you do it again? Will you move? Will you glorify your name? Make much of yourself in our time. Transform this world. It's also reminding ourselves that God is the one who does this because if we don't remind ourselves of that, we may just find ourselves forgetting how this is accomplished and trying to do it ourselves on our own strength, in our own way. Of course, God wants us to join him. We heard that in the drama. But at the beginning of this prayer, Jesus is right-sizing our prayers and saying, God glorifies God. And won't you do that in our world? Reminding us of who God is, what God does, who we are, and what we do. And once that's understood, we continue and we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Preparing for this weekend, there was a lot from this prayer that really struck me, but nothing as much as the costly nature of what we just prayed there. That's what I felt the weight of the most And I don't know how many times I've prayed this prayer, but this week afresh again, I was so gripped, compelled, consumed by just how costly that prayer is. I think sometimes we can be so familiar with this prayer that we don't comprehend the totality of what we just asked God to do. 
your name hallowed, your kingdom come, your will be done. And what that means is God have your way. God, it's your rule, it's your reign, your power, your glory, your name. Now, as I say that, most of us here are like, yes and amen, Kyle, that's what we want. That sounds great. Your kingdom come, your will be done. But for God's kingdom to come necessarily means that our kingdom must leave. For God's will to be done means that our agenda, our desires are surrendered. Open hand. And for God's name to be lifted high means that we all adopt a posture of absolute servanthood. We can rattle off your kingdom come, your will be done without pondering if we really mean it. How comfortable are we to say, I will serve only. My desires surrendered. My goals surrendered. My kingdom gone. It's all yours. Like, yes, Lord, bring your kingdom. Even if that means I'm suffering. Even if that means I'm giving away all I got. Even if that means a costly confession of some things that I've been doing and some sin that I need to make right by bringing it to you. Yes, Lord, bring your will. Which means whatever my ethics whatever my desires, whatever my habits, surrender them to you, even if it costs me greatly. Yes, Lord, may your name be hallowed, even if that means my name is slandered. Like that's what we all just prayed. That's what we all just, for some of us, memorized and recited. We all just said, let my agenda let my plan, let my finances, let my hopes, let my dreams, let my conveniences, let my luxuries, let my retirement plan, let my investments, my hopes, my aspirations, my name, my reputation, they are all absolutely yours. Free reign, whatever you want to do. It's not just a routine statement, friends. That flips everything upside down. That is a costly thing we all just prayed. It's a risky thing we all just prayed. And we can just say, your kingdom come, your will be done. Without wrestling and grasping with what that declaration means. But here's how I think we can do it. Here's how I think we can actually pray that and mean that and be compelled enough to mean this prayer. And the secret is in all of the two-letter words at the end of this sentence. It's as it is in heaven. Okay, as it is in heaven, not as it will be in heaven, as it is currently in heaven right now, which means this is already true. The kingdom of God already exists 
and already is reigning in heaven in totality. So let me just share the good news with all of us about what that means. When we read that the kingdom of God fully exists in heaven, we are told of a place where death no longer exists. Death doesn't exist. We read of a place where bad diagnoses are no longer delivered, where pain no longer limits us. We read of a place where the funeral industry is out of a job. And if you're in healthcare, you're out of a job there too. If you're a pastor, I'm out of a job. We read of a place where there will be no missing children, no missing men, no missing women. There will be no addiction, there will be no overdose, there will be no lying, there will be no fraud, there will be no murder. There will be no wars. There will be no worries. There will be no earthquakes that take over 50,000 lives. There will be no fear. There will be no betrayal. There will be no loneliness. There will be no hidden agendas. There will be no abuse, no manipulation, no gossip. There will be no fighting. There will be no cancer. There will be no suicide. There will be no depression. There will be no tears. I can keep on going, but this is what the kingdom of God looks like and it already exists. This is already happening. And so hear this, friends, the ache that we feel in our souls from all of the things that I just mentioned. These aches aren't bugs in our humanity. They're features in our humanity that help us realize there is a different way that this world can exist. They help remind us that it's not supposed to be this way. These aches, these pains tell us this world is not all there is. There is a different way to exist and it's already happening in heaven. Life is meant to be different. It can be different. And Jesus, when he teaches us to pray, wants to he wants us to remind ourselves of this and to pray that the reality that already exists will come more and more and more in our midst. And Jesus is showing us by praying that this happens on earth, that the Christian life is not merely about escaping and flying away to glory. The Christian life is that the kingdom of God will be made known in our midst more and more on earth as it is in heaven where our father currently is. And when we recognize that this already is happening, when we, when we recognize these longings that we have already exist, and we're going to say, oh, bring that here. Yeah, even if my name is signed, yeah, bring that here. Even if my plans are, are changed, yes, Lord, bring your kingdom here because it already exists. Just bring that here in our midst. Bring your kingdom. Next, 
we read, give us today our daily bread. From the right sizing of the entire cosmos, the right sizing of the universe, Jesus now brings it to our most basic and fundamental needs. The first request for our own lives, personally, is just basic existence. Not some quests for some holiness, we'll get there. But the starting point that Jesus wants us to ask God is that we just can survive. Sometimes we think we need to make ourselves right to approach God. You know, fix ourselves up, do this, do that, then we can go and approach God. Kind of like we have to heal ourselves before calling an ambulance. The first word that God teaches us to pray about our own lives is about our survival. God is just concerned with our physicality and our existence. Daily bread. Now, daily bread. Let's just be honest enough to say that most of us, not all of us in the room, but most of us in the room, have never had to genuinely pray to have enough for the day. You know, the people Jesus was teaching, like the drama taught us, literally were praying to have enough just for that day. They needed enough for the day to survive. But most of us, we don't have that concern. But what I find really interesting is that even to those people who, who needed it just for the day, Jesus taught them still only ask enough for the day. Don't ask for tomorrow. Just enough for the day. You know, one, one pastor said, if God answered this prayer literally for all of us in North America, we'd be upset with God and worried and panicked if we didn't know where tomorrow was coming from. We all want more than enough. This verse in the prayer Jesus gave us is often linked with Proverbs 30. Proverbs 30, it says this, Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. Which means the wise person says, God, do not make me rich. But God, I don't want to be so poor that I have to steal to survive. I want enough just for today. And friends, if these are the extremes, forgetting God or stealing, the majority of people in the room right now are at tremendous danger of forgetting the Lord and forgetting to rely on him because we have enough. Like that's a real danger. Proverbs 30, the wise person is, is teaching us that any area of abundance that we have in our lives is an area we are at risk of forgetting who the Lord is in that area of our lives. How is that for challenging? That should be a wake-up call for, it is for me, it should be for all of us. May I have enough that I desperately and continually and daily rely on you not living off yesterday's manna. Just enough for the day. And if that's challenging, Jesus turns the heat up even more when he says, forgive us our debts 
as we also have forgiven our debtors, as we have, past tense. And if you're wondering if that verse is as clear as it sounds, the answer is yes. Jesus is literally saying, forgive me in the same way I have already forgiven the people in my life. Anyone else feel the weight of that burden? Think of someone you've forgiven or perhaps haven't forgiven. Do you want God to forgive you the way you've forgiven that person? Jesus links together what we receive by what we have already given away. And if you want to wrestle through this, look at Matthew 6, verse 14 and 15. Look in Matthew 7. Look at Matthew 18. Look at Luke 6. Look at Luke 11. I could go on and on. What Jesus teaches us to pray is forgive me in the way, forgive me in the way I have already forgiven others. The biblical teaching on forgiveness is so hard. Not because it's unclear, but because it's so forcefully clear that it's hard to wrestle through. And then the last line, after this forgiveness, verse 13, it says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Lead us not in temptation, which is just a, clever way of saying something negative as a way of saying something positive. We do it all the time. How are you doing? Not bad. It's doing okay. Lead us not into temptation, which is to say, keep us close to you. Keep us connected in this family relationship. We all know temptation is so prevalent in our world. You know, sometimes temptation is so prevalent, we just learn to tolerate it, maybe even seek it out. But we're asking God to not just keep us close, but to lead us in a way that we don't even go near temptation. I saw Francis Chan share this great illustration uh, about a conversation he was having um, with, with one of his friends. His friend was saying, you know, my, my 10-year-old made some choices that weren't great. There were some challenging choices. And so the dad was trying to have this, you know, disciplinary conversation with his 10-year-old. And, and he, he came up with this great idea. So he drew uh, on a piece of paper, he drew out this diagram. And he's like, son, this right here, this is your life. And when it comes to temptation, when it comes to choices, you always have two choices. You can go God's way or you can go the way of temptation. And, and, and when you go God's way, it just makes life easier. Your mom, me, we're happy. We're not, we don't have to have these awkward conversations. You're better off because it's aligned with your humanity. When you go this way, it just makes everything awful. It hurts everyone. It's not fun. And the dad was like, yeah, really, this is good. This is a good illustration. Way to go, dad. And then his 10-year-old like, looks at him and he's like, you know, dad, you're close, that's not really what it's like. Ten-year-old takes the drawing. And he says, it's, it's more like this. See, Dad, like, uh, I'm living life. I'm making my way through life. And, and when it comes time for the temptation, for the choice, I could go God's way. Or I could go the way of temptation. And Dad, look, temptation's downhill. It is so much easier I don't want to go uphill, the straight and narrow. 
it's just easier to go down. So, so dad, I, you're right. I did. I chose this way. But dad, when I got right around here, I was like, oh my goodness, what have I done? I've messed up. This isn't it. This isn't the right way. But dad, look, when I, when I made that choice, by the time I realized it, it was still back uphill. And it was just too hard. So I just kind of kept going. Some of us, all of us, have chosen to go downhill. And when we're saying, Jesus, lead us not into temptation, we're saying, help us go uphill. And when Jesus is teaching us this prayer, he's saying, yeah, 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 that's, that's easy. It's easy to go downhill. It's a lot harder to go uphill. But he doesn't want us to just think of this as like an action. What he wants us to recognize is that behind every temptation is a tempter who is out there to kill and steal and destroy our humanity. Friends, do we really want to be delivered from temptation and delivered from evil? Because when we pray that, what we're saying is, I'm going to do the uphill climb. And that might be a couple conversations or that might be a couple years of conversations. That might be a couple decades. But when we pray that, the question is, are we really willing to do the uphill work? Jesus is with us to be sure, but it's hard. Do we really want to be delivered from evil? Because sometimes I don't think we actually want to be delivered from evil. We just want to be delivered from the consequences of evil. Are we willing to climb uphill? Because Jesus is teaching us that the compromise is going to crush our lives. Do we want to be delivered? Led not into temptation? You know, the more I engage with this prayer, the more awestruck I become by it. It's only 53 words. And yet it covers the expanse of the entire human experience. One scholar said, with how succinct this prayer is and how much is in it is a sign and testimony to the divinity of Jesus alone. 53 words that covers the entirety of our lives and challenges every dimension of our lives. 53 words that can recalibrate our existence 53 words that show the future we are all heading to. That already, this prayer already exists. Which means, friends, every single time we choose to embody and enact and live this prayer, take one step uphill, every single time we do that, we are joining God by bringing the kingdom to earth. Every time we live this out, we are joining in on what already exists. Confessing sin ushers in the kingdom of God. Avoiding temptation, heaven comes. Praying to our Father together, glory. Costly glory. So realizing it may just cost us everything, do we really want the kingdom to come? 
God's will be done? Are we willing to surrender, to go where he calls us, to give what he asks of us, to connect where he asks us to connect, to serve where he asks us to serve, to share the message of Jesus where he asks us to share, to join in on what is already happening in heaven and see that become a reality here in our little corner and pocket of the world. Praying these 53 words is to surrender every part of our lives, but it is also to see the world transformed, the world that is into the world that's coming, the world our hearts are aching for. So to close together tonight, there's no better way to do that than by praying the prayer Jesus gave us together. If you're willing to engage in how costly this prayer is, will you pray this with me? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Amen, amen, amen.